You are listening to Inspired Caring, episode number 86. Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end-of-life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. Hi, Amy. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I am so glad you're here. We met through a mutual friend. And when I heard about what you're doing and your background, I instantly thought you, I was so excited you accepted the invitation to be on the podcast because I thought I, this would just be such a great fit. So I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you. I, at any time anybody's excited to hear what I have to say and share, that just fills my bucket. Great. Well, I would love for you to just start by giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, your background, and what it is that you are doing now. Okay. Um, well, I started off my professional career as a graphic designer. And um, after 15 or so years, decided I want to do something different. So I went back to school and became a nurse. Whoa. Uh-huh. A little bit of a change. Yeah. And, and I, I enjoyed nursing school. It was super hard. Um, but after, after nursing school, I went um, to work for a critical access hospital. And a critical access hospital, you basically do everything from birth to death. Okay. Um, you can help with labor and delivery, um, do all the things clear through end of life. And that just gave me a little taste of everything. And while I was doing that, I got my master's because I thought I don't necessarily want to work holidays, weekends, nights forever. Mm -hmm. So, um, I got my master's in nursing, um, on the educator track and thought that um, being a teacher was a great way to kind of help grow the next generation of nurses. Um, it was something that I, I did automatically a little bit mm -hmm. while we were in school. Um, I just ended up kind of being the leader of any study group that we had. Um, so, um, yep, got my master's and started teaching um, at a community college here in Lincoln. Um, and then COVID hit, and that was really hard, not just for nursing, but for teaching. Yeah. As, as a brand new teacher, it it really it really was hard for me. I just decided that it wasn't it wasn't the right place for me. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, learned a lot about teaching, nursing, and myself. Right. From there, I went to work for a home health hospice agency, and that was 
amazing. I knew immediately that this is the work I'm supposed to do. Um, I can still teach because you do a lot of teaching, a lot of education with hospice. Um, and then end of life, I've, I've just gradually become so much more comfortable talking about end of life and being in that space with patients and with families and the privilege um, of helping not only the patient, but the families through something that our culture just doesn't talk about. Right. Like we all know it's out there. Huh? We, we know that it's going to come for each and every one of us. Yeah. But it's like a, a meta thing. Like nobody talks about it really. We don't, we hide it. Um, like if you, you, if you go looking for things, real things on the internet, you can't find it because it's all censored. And so knowing that people don't know what it looks like, don't know what it sounds like, don't know what it smells like, don't know what it feels Mm -hmm. like in their body as an observer or to to help your loved ones go through that. That's they, they don't know how to do it. And so I, I get to help them do that. Even if it's just one little bit of one little nugget of information or, you know, taking them down a notch in their anxiety, all those things. Like I, I just, I feel so blessed to, that I feel comfortable with it and that they let me be in that space with them. Right. Um, so while I was in that environment, um, again, I learned so much about myself and about the job and about nursing and about people and education, all those things. It still just did not quite feel right. So I quit the home health part of hospice and started working for an inpatient unit here in Lincoln of of hospice only. Mm -hmm. And um, that finally felt right. That Mm. finally felt like my place. But (laughs) along the way, um, did a lot of talking with my best friend because who better to go to with to your best friend than to your best friend when you're struggling with stuff. Right. And she, she helped me develop my sense of security and knowledge base and um, comfort level with end of life. Cause she's super, she's super comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And she and I had been talking about, you know, how do we, how do we get this information out there to the masses? How can we, how can we do that and help shift our culture a little bit? Well, um, lots of conversations went on and we decided we were going to start our own company. We would be educational consultants because we didn't quite know what to call ourselves because it doesn't really exist. Right. And so we started a little company, just, um, just the two of us here in Lincoln and we call it sips and wishes. And so we, that's what we do. We educate people just either individually or as many as 20 at a time on, medical things that happen, could happen, might happen, might be offered to you um, at end of life, whenever that might be, because it might be an end of life might happen shortly after birth, but it might also happen when you're 98. So just explain what medical things, like I said, could happen. Mm -hmm. um, So that when you're presented with these options, you know, what, what, your providers are sharing with you as, as options. And then you get to decide 
oh, I don't really want that. Or yes, I'm all in, do all the things because mm -hmm. I want to live to make my granddaughter's graduation or whatever milestone you might have. At any cost, no matter what, like that's yep. my goal, right? That's my goal. And we, like I, we support it. Like I said, we just provide the information in an educational minds with an educational mindset. And then you get to decide because it's your body. You get to decide what you want or don't want. I think what's so important about this is so often when we're talking with our providers, they are saying, take this or do that, but we don't really understand what the outcomes could look like or the side effects or the consequences or we just, we don't get all of the information because we have such a limited time with them. So what I'm hearing you say is like, as you are exploring end of life at any phase really of where you are in your own life, mm -hmm. just as you are collecting information, you are now able, Amy, to give them more details so people can make their own decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Our, our culture is so, um, we really prize autonomy, mm -hmm. but then we don't really give you the education that you really do need in order to make an educated decision about what you want. Right. I mean, people do more research on buying a car. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Or I, I don't know what just came for me was buying a bicycle. Like, <laughs> too. like, yeah. I mean, we, we research, we have so much information literally at our fingertips with our, the computers we carry in our pockets all the time. Right. But if you ask somebody, you know, what are, what are the consequences of having a feeding tube? They have no idea. They don't often even know what it is or when to have it or should I have it or should I not? I mean, right. So that's, that's what we're trying to do is just educate people a little bit so that they can make an educated decision about what they want. It's their body. They should get to decide. So part of what I'm hearing is, so for me, I'm 50 and obviously having POA paperwork in place is really important. Having living will paperwork is really important. So you can help people understand, um, what that, what each of those decisions and choices could look like for you. Sort of. Now we have to be careful because Erin and I are nurses, right? Not lawyers. So we right. do not, we do not um, really even try and sway anybody or suggest things. We're going to give you the information and then you can take that information and then take that to your lawyer or do some sort of online legal document Okay. to document what you do want. Right. Um, but we're finding too, that like a lot of estate planners, lawyers and, and such, they don't really know what some of that information is either. So it's our hope to get in with those estate planners and, mm -hmm. and educate them or just have them come to us as part of their package um, right. say, you know, we know that you need to, to document this stuff because they you know nurses always say, if you didn't document it, it doesn't happen, but they don't, they don't oftentimes know what they're even, and you know, they don't know how to advise people on 
all the, all those little nuances of what you do or don't want. Right. So, I mean, that totally makes sense to me. So I'm trying to get my affairs in order. You're not going to help me specifically with that paperwork. However, you can educate me on what each of these pieces could look like. So then I can go make a decision about what I would want in those circumstances. Exactly. Um, And we've even created what I call a preferences packet um, so that you can, we can, it's, it's getting down to some kind of nitty gritty details on, on some stuff and, you can, you know, we can go through all those details on that piece of paper, and then you can take that packet with you to your appointment with your estate planner to say, okay, this is, this is what I want. And this is what I don't want so that you can, because try and remember some of this stuff. If you are oh not versed in the language, I mean, it's medical stuff is a foreign language. And so if, yeah, literally spoken and written I remember yeah. like the the word with is like a c with a dash or something yeah, it's dumb it's <laughs> like I'm on a w with a slash I know <laughs> yep all the things all the things so at what point do you so let's talk about sips and wishes and just like what that can look like and who how do people approach approach you at what point where are they when they're reaching out yeah. So there's lots of different, so there's, they're kind of like, I, I kind of think of it in three different sections. One is an organization could um, invite us to their company mm-hmm. and provide, you know, they would pay us. We come and we, we have our, our presentation. It's very interactive. I don't want to call it a, a talk or anything because it's very, it's very interactive. You know, we're teachers. We, we want to hear from you and we tell stories and we laugh and there might be a few tears, but an organization can hire us to come and we, and we do our presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, people can hire us to come and do what we, you know, we call it a sips and wishes party because it's fun. We, you know, we, we want to encourage people to have beverages, whatever kind of beverage you want. It can be iced tea and lemonade, or it can be whiskey on the rocks, right. no judgment. <laughs> um, and we can sit around and, and talk about all these medical things too. Um, and that's a smaller group, usually, you know, friends or family, couples, intergenerational family group. Um, or we can do an individual consultation. Um, again, same information, just it's just where is your comfort level? Do you want to talk about these things, you know, in your Barker lounger with your mm-hmm. drink at, at your side and I just talk to you and show you the, the stuff? Or do you want to have this be, you know, like a, um, a company that offers this as a benefit to their employees? Right. Um, it could be a large company. It could be a church. Um, we've had, we've done several at churches. So really the setting doesn't really change our, our information. We will personalize and tailor based on who we're talking to. Age groups can be really anybody from late teenagers clear up to 99. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It could be anybody. So I think one of the reasons why people are so afraid to talk about this stuff is there is a fear of dying. I don't know if it's a fear of being dead or a fear of dying. And it even feels weird to say those words out loud. Like, 
like where do you think um people have the most angst i think it's the unknown yeah I, you know because nobody has done it and come back and said hey it was great or it was painful <laughs> right or, you know it was into nothing that we just don't have any we don't know um i think one of the things people fear is uncomfortable uh physically uncomfortable that not always even necessarily pain, but suffering. Oh, okay. So I think that's part of it. Um, the culture of your family might be, well, every time I talk about somebody dying, you know, Aunt Margaret or Uncle Joe or Billy Bob down the street dies. And so they, they associate mm -hmm. the discussion with, you know, powers that can take a life and that it's, that's not a thing. Um, but I think the, and, and our, like I said, this, our society doesn't talk about it. Right. And so I think there is a little bit of a taboo and I, I'm just hopeful that one person, one family, one group of 20 at a time, we can start to talk about these things and educate because then I think that really takes your anxiety and your fear down because then, you know, you're making educated decisions on something that could impact someone else's body or your own. Well, and just normalizing the language and the dialogue and being willing to have these conversations. Um, I imagine it would clear a dinner party table pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but when we have fun with it, like we can tell some good stories and we joke and we, we really try to, to gauge the temperature of people and, and not have it be cringy or scary or bring the mood down because yeah, yeah we, we tell some good stories and we have gallows humor, like any good nurse. <laughs> so, well, and I imagine over time you have been with, and in the work that you've done, you've been with quite a few people who have passed away. So does it look the same for everybody? Are there certain patterns? Is it like individual yet patterned or what? I mean, what is something, I don't even know how to ask this, like what's something that someone could expect or how can we talk about just what that looks like to actually- the, 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 actual dying, yeah. the actual dying process? Yeah. Um, I describe it to families as a buffet. Um, there's, you know, you could have 15, 20 things on a buffet mm -hmm. and some people are going to take this in a big pile and some take, are going to take this and some people are going to take this and other people might take other things. So, so no one, no two deaths are the same. Mm -hmm the frequency, um, the length of time someone spends in the dying process, it kind of depends on when you start that clock, I guess. Okay. Um, but to just normalize some of it is, you know, there's changes in breathing, mm -hmm. there's changes in the skin, um, there's changes in your responsiveness. So some people might be quite responsive till the very end. And some people are unresponsive for weeks. Hmm. Um, 
I think one of the biggest things that our culture has a hard time with is eating and drinking. Mm-hmm. Our bodies know how to die. And if you listen to your body, your body will tell you when to drink and when to eat. Hmm. And a, a dying body is no different, but our culture is centered around meals and food and beverages. And so it's really hard a lot of times for families to reconcile, well, we're starving them. I, I, I need to offer my mom something to drink and something to eat and continue to say, here, mom, here's another bite. Here's another bite. Here's another bite. Mm, Yeah. What's hard about that for the dying person is two things. They don't want to disappoint or let down their loved one who, who is meaning well, but it hurts. The stomach hurts when you try to put food and water in it, when someone is dying, it's kind of the opposite of hunger pains. Oh, interesting. Um, Because your body can't digest it because all of your organs are shutting down. And putting food and water into your stomach and then having it go into your small and large intestine and through, you know, all the, all the different Mm -hmm. boxes. It's those, those organs aren't really working the same as they used to. And so there's pain associated and discomfort associated with that. And so having the family understand the, and the loved ones understand, you know, we can offer, we can offer a bite. Would you like anything to drink? And if that person says no, that's the end of it. Don't, don't continue to, I mean, we'll, we'll offer it periodically. Or say, you know, I've got stuff ready when, whenever you want a bite, um, I'm here to, I'm here to give you a bite and then leave it at that. What you, what you said um, really struck me is the body knows how to die. And it's kind of tapping into those internal systems that are constantly functioning without us trying to control them like our heart beating. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like so much is already happening internally within us without our control. And so I guess that's just a new concept for me is that my body will know what to do when it's time. It is. And we just don't even think about it in the fact that like, oh, it's noon, I should eat lunch instead right. of just listening to our body or gosh, my skin is hot as I'm standing out in the sun. Maybe I should move to a shade, a shaded area so I don't get sunburned. You know, this sidewalk is hot. The bottom of my feet are burning. I should move into the grass. I mean, we just, we don't listen to our body enough. Yes. And that's especially just, and because a dying person doesn't always have the capacity to use their voice anymore, you know, your, your team and your loved ones around you have to be your advocates um, and say, you know, we, your mom is unresponsive. Please don't try to put the the cup into her mouth. So she drinks water and chokes and. Right. And then well, we're all- 
And that's kind of the whole point of lining out your wishes, like actually thinking this through what you feel you would desire so that the people around you can support you in a way that's conducive to what you want. Exactly. Exactly. Because you you touched on it earlier when you said pick your power of attorney, your POA. That's almost like, that's almost the key. The whole process is picking Mm. the right person to be your voice when you no longer have yours to use. Um, Because if that person doesn't know what your wishes are, because you have explicitly told them, if they don't know, they're going to have to guess what you want or don't want. And that is where the trauma and the guilt come in because they're going to second guess every single thing that they say. Yeah. And so the whole point of all of this as Aaron and I just have seen so much trauma and guilt make that grief super complicated when it doesn't have to be right. You're going to have guilt. Excuse me. You're going to have grief, right? When someone that you love dies, that's the price of love is you're going to have grief. It's totally normal. You want that. It's expected, but having, having guilt along with it, let's, let's not do that. Let's, Let's have these conversations so that you don't have to guess. Right. And your person, your voice, your POA, all they're doing is saying, we had this conversation. I know what they want. This is what they want. This is their wishes. And then there's, it's, it's not, it's not that person deciding. Right. They're just being your voice. So then there's less conflict within the family. If you have multiple people involved and people are disagreeing about give the water, don't give the water. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Having, having lots of people all very well-meaning in the room is, can be challenging if you haven't had those conversations as a group, Mm -hmm. like that's why I've encouraged families to have a sips and wishes party with family. Like let's have all the people. I, even if we're having to get some FaceTime or some zooms, you know, so mm-hmm. that everybody can hear, no, no, no. Don't you dare keep me alive at all costs. Please don't do, you know, please don't do chest compressions on me. I'm 90 years old. You're going to break all my ribs. Please don't do those things to me. So having all the people hear all the information at the same time, is like the best case scenario. Yeah, that's so smart. I don't think people realize that. Can you repeat what you said about the chest compressions? Like oh, if, the I, chest if I, the whole DNR thing, yeah. Yeah, so chest compressions are meant to, you, you push you push your, your the heel of your hand down on the breastbone, the, the bone that connects your ribs and you push hard because you're trying to get to an internal organ, the heart to, to get it to pump again, right? Mm-hmm. The only way to do that is to break the ribs. It's just going to happen. And if you're not breaking the ribs, you're not doing the chest compression deep enough, generally speaking. Okay. Right. And when you're trying to do chest compressions on a little 90 year old body that weighs 110 pounds, please don't make me do that as a nurse. Please don't make me do that. Mm. Um, 
because the pain and suffering that comes, if we, if we do restart the heart, you've got all those broken bones to contend with and it, that's painful. And then you want, you know, I want you to be able to expand your lungs fully because if you don't, you get pneumonia, right? If you just start mm -hmm. taking little shallow breaths all the time, you're not expanding your lungs fully. That's how pneumonia sets in, but it hurts to take a big, deep, full breath right? with all those broken ribs. And so then you have the broken ribs and then you have the pneumonia and then at what cost? Right. So really thinking about, so again, that's one of the things we go through as part of the medical procedures that could happen, that could be offered to you at end of life is chest compressions. And for someone who is young and healthy without any comorbidities, it could be the best thing in the whole wide world. And you could get another 30, 40 years out of life. Right but you have to look at all the factors for yourself, for your body. Even if you are 40, but you have a heart condition or you have had chronic lung problems or you have diabetes or any combination of those things, you just need to just, you just need all the information so that you can decide the risk benefit analysis on CPR. Right. Or all the other things we talk about during a, during a party. Um, and that's, we're making an educated decision. We're, 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 we're giving you the education so you can make a decision. Right. So important. So let's, let's just say I'm going to have a party and we book it with you and you're either coming in live or we're doing it virtually. Um, what is just like the structure, the framework of what's going to happen during our time together? Okay. Um, so we're going to have fun. You're going to have the hostess. The host usually has some sort of, um, right. It's a party. Usually has some sort of beverage offering and some sort of snacks. Um, because we find that when you're talking about death, if you are actively doing something that keeps your body alive, it, it just works better. So, mm -hmm. and who doesn't love snacks? Right. So we do some icebreakers. Um, because people may or may not know each other, but even if they do and know each other very well, just talking about some of the, our, have doing some of our icebreakers, um, kind of sets the mood for, um, getting in that, that frame of mind. And one thing that threads through the whole presentation is what do you consider living? Mm -hmm. What does living mean to you? Because your definition is going to be different than my definition. That's going to be different than the person sitting next to you. So that's one thing we start with. And then we, um, we talk about different body systems. So we talk okay. about lungs, cardiovascular, your GI, so eating and um, elimination. So your kidneys getting rid of getting rid of stuff. Talk about those body systems and um some equip we have equipment show and tell because we love show and tell we have actual like intubation equipment um, we have actual g-tube equipment and all of it is new it's not used or gross or anything oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> but, but having somebody like see yeah. what the intubation tube looks like and the machine the tool that you use to innovate somebody that's part of our education because i want you to know 
right how how it looks and um, watching Grey's Anatomy does not count right no, no? it does not count it's, okay <laughs> it it's one I'm sorry I used to watch Grey's Anatomy too and the and the the writing the drama all the acting all those things is amazing it's not great on the on the realistic side of things for medical stuff okay. now if you go back and watch er that one's pretty good okay. that one is pretty realistic but grace anatomy no 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 yeah i'm telling you you do not just wake up after having cpr and have all the lights and the flowing hair and beautiful makeup <laughs> that's not what it looks like so well, after the episode where they had a girl who was uh going into anaphylactic shock from eating peanuts and having literally physically done had anaphylaxis twice in my life wow full-blown every system shutting down epi oh. benadryl in the hospital like insanity oh my goodness and they showed this little girl with hives and the doctor's like she's got anaphylactic shock I'm like no she's all right <laughs> <laughs> so anyway I digress so having the equipment there at the party is and having like a show and tell is awesome yep we we do that um and then so um we talk about all the medical stuff and then we talk about the importance of picking your person, mm -hmm. um, how, if you're married, if you're not married, if you have parents, if you have children, if you document, if you don't document all those things, um, you know, legally, if you have nothing written down, who is your, who's going to be your POA. Um, and again, we preface all this by saying, you know, well, this is the nursing point of view. We are not lawyers. Um, we don't, you know, don't take this to the bank on stuff. This is just our experience. But like, even if you have um, documented like DNR form, mm -hmm. your power of attorney that's also documented if they have their form in hand and they're standing in a doorway and they say, no, 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 I don't care that she was a DNR. You still need to do all the things because I'm a POA and you have to do those things. Then we're going to try to convince your power of attorney that 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 they really don't want to have all these things done but who's going to sue the hospital is the person standing in the doorway and not the dead person so right yeah so we go through some of that stuff um and then um we talk about the fact that we have this preferences packet that's kind of a separate thing you know this the the party is um is a two-hour already long entity um, the preferences packet, um, I'm happy to go through with people one-on-one -on -one or at the end of a party in a group if they want to, but that can take another hour or so because there's so many great questions and, mm -hmm. you know, you really want to think about things. And so we just take our time walking through that. Um, but then the end of the party, we do a little wrap up finale kind of exercise that really, again, sums up the whole party and has you think again about what life or what living is to you yeah and it's fun and it's fun <laughs> and you're fun <laughs> we try to be well and I think as I'm thinking about the people that are listening to this episode um as family caregivers we want to do what we we want to honor our loved one's wishes and what we feel is best for them. And so I just think this is such an important conversation for them to have with the people they're taking care of, but then again, for themselves, because what we know is that oftentimes family caregivers go down first. Yeah. It's that true. they 
because their focus is on the other person, um, that they really need to kind of have their own ducks in a row and understanding. And also I could really imagine that this would be helpful if the discussions have not been had for someone who's in a caregiver role to have gone through this with you so that they have more information in that moment when decisions have to be made quickly at the hospital. Because there's no time when you have a patient in front of you, right, Amy? Like you're looking to the POA to say, are we doing this or what? That you're exactly 100% right. And I guess what, where it, it gets hard for me is that people, they want to only think about this in terms of I'm old and now I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. And the most traumatic, the most traumatic situations that Aaron and I have seen are the unexpected ones. Mm. They're the car accidents, they're the hunting accidents, they're the stroke, they're the heart attacks. Um, the, I dove in, my kid dove into a lake that was shallow and now I have to decide what to do. Right. And no one wants to think about those things because that's gut-wrenching. And I know people often say, oh, I can't imagine what I would do, but you can. You can imagine, and but you don't want to think about it because it just, right. it's too awful. But those, those families are left with so much guilt and yeah. so much trauma because they don't know. They don't, they're standing in that doorway and their brain is flooded with all these body chemicals that they cannot think straight. Right. And they have no idea what someone, what the words are that someone is saying to them. All they're doing is able to, they're just watching what's happening and they just, they have no idea what to do. And so it's those people that I would love to have these conversations around their dining room table when it's calm and relaxed and we can joke and we can think and yeah, it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. It's going to be uncomfortable, but from uncomfortable comes change. When you let yourself be in that safe environment and have those really uncomfortable conversations, it makes an impact. Not just the way you think about things, but it could literally change somebody's life. Mm -hmm. Because then you're able to say, I don't want to lose my son after this hunting accident, but I know according we've had this conversation, his version of living is snowmobiling and skiing and being on the lake and to know that he would be in a wheelchair or like laying in a bed in a vegetative state for the rest of his life, that is not living to him. And he does not want to do that. Right. So let's figure out how we can make the best of this situation. And I'm going to make his voice be heard. I'm going to tell you what he told me, what he would want. It's not me making the choice. Right. I'm telling you what he wants. Right. Often I say discomfort is the currency for success. Oh, I like that. 
because as I do physical races and challenges, I know that for me to be successful, to complete that race, I'm going to have to be uncomfortable in the preparation for it. But then the, really what you are offering people, Amy, is peace of mind ultimately, because having a maybe uncomfortable two-hour conversation, we can eradicate years of guilt. Yep. 100%. And in that time. Yep. And you can grieve and you can grieve and it can cut you off of the knees. That grief can sometimes. It really can. Don't complicate it with, with the guilt and the trauma. Right. Well, I think what you have created is amazing and so valuable. And I can totally see this everywhere. Like, I wish this was being offered in senior living communities. And like you said, organizations and yeah, let's play Bunko once a month and then have something like this come in once a I month. I will come and talk to anybody who <laughs> wants me to come talk to them. I 100% like, I'll do it. I'm there. Yeah. What's a, what's just like a, as we wrap up a takeaway that you want people who are in this caregiver role to have, what would you like to say to them? And then we're going to talk about how people can get a hold of you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been talking about this and I think, I think the main, no matter what role you're in, do this for them. Mm. Like especially like we're at the very beginning of December right now, we're getting into some gift giving modes right now. Do this. This is a gift that we'll keep on giving. Do this for them. Like you're like, I think about me having this conversation with my mom. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this for her. She is my POA. In addition to my older son, I'm going to do this for them. Yeah. So I think, I think that's what it is. I think that's the main takeaway is do this for them because we're, we're so many of us are so selfless in a lot of things that we do. Um, but this, this is something that even though it's for your, you know, ultimately for your own body, Mm -hmm. you're doing this for them. You're doing this for your loved ones. Yeah, that's beautiful. And people are better at doing things when it's benefiting someone else. (laughs) Very much so. How do people reach you? How do they get in touch with you? Um, I have a couple different ways. So we have a website called sipsandwishesparty.com. And from there, you can direct message me from from there. Or there's an email sipsandwishes at gmail.com. Um, we're on Facebook, um, Sips and Wishes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can find us there. Um, I'm not into other social media platforms quite yet, but mm-hmm. but soon I hope. Um, but yeah, they can get a hold of me any of those ways. And I I'm happy to share the ideas and and book a party or book your organization or just come and and have a conversation in your living room if that's the most comfortable for you well I think everybody should do this 
Me too. <laughs> Including me. I'm going to, I need to book this too. Do it. I got my calendar pulled up. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. This was great. Michelle, it was an honor to be um, recognized um, by you and that you thought this was valuable too. So thank you so much. And um, I look forward to continuing our friendship. Me too. We have more to come. Yay. Yay. <laughs>